0: This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website and because each person is so unique all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey all people places and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved you're listening to the we're not fine podcast with doug jensen and dr talia jackson
1: quick note here for our friends and listeners. This week's episode was pre-recorded shortly after the draft of the recent Supreme Court abortion decision was leaked to the press, but was not yet final and official. We hope this adds some context to the conversation. Without further ado, let's dive right into this week's episode. It's so hard, just this like juxtaposition of all of this, love, inclusion, forward, momentum, and progress, and then the possibility that it feels like we're gonna move backwards in time into like the dark ages where women have no control. Like we can be doctors, we can be vice presidents, we can be orthopedic surgeons, but we don't have autonomy over our bodies. And I guess, I mean, and also to say like, Doug and I, we're not political people. We're not political figures. We're just humans. We're therapists. We have a lot of feelings um, and a lot of empathy for people. And it's just, it's incredibly painful to think that I'm afraid to even know how, what percentage of people are feeling good about the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. It feels like maybe the day that I woke up and learned that Trump won. um, And I was like, that's, this is a joke. This is April fools. There's no possible way that more than 50% of the people that surround me think he is speaking for them or that that's the direction more than 50% of the U.S. population wants to move. And so it. there's no choice but to feel polarized because we know how we feel and we feel really strongly and we feel certain that we're right. And so even if we're not talking about this in particular but it's just these really painful conversations where we feel so 100% certain to our core the, the every fiber in our being knows that we stand for this side it's almost impossible to have these neutral conversations the i'm not i honestly i'm a work in progress but what i have realized especially like as a therapist it's completely different it's different than having people over um, for dinner and having a conversation with people that you you know, these are your people, right? But as a therapist, it feels relatively easy for me to listen to people and their thoughts and their truth and their perspective and just get really curious. Um, I'm able to be a little more neutral and just listen to how they got to the decision that they've made. And another thing that helps me find some compassion And some empathy for people that feel so differently than me is knowing that it's like, it's pretty impossible to change people's minds. Yeah. That is something that I have noticed again and again and again. And so like, for instance, if someone were to ask you, I'd like you to look at a couple of articles about why women having autonomy over their own bodies is a bad thing. And I'd like you to consider that other people should get to decide what happens to women and their bodies. And these articles are really powerful. And I want you to read them. Like, what's the likelihood that you would change your mind? There are no facts, no opinions that would change most people's minds.
0: It's an impossibility
1: for sure. And so going into these conversations, knowing that they feel as strongly about their side as I feel about mine it just, all you can do is dig deep and get curious and ask them how they got to that decision, where that comes from, what it means to them, maybe why certain things threaten them. Like, what is it about not having control of what other you know people are deciding to do that is very, you know, that's scary or threatening? I also just think about Taking away a legal and safe way to determine your own future is like unbelievable oppression. And how can you say that you honor women, value women, or even that it's about the sanctity of life? How can anyone say that this is about life when... They're not caring for the people that are actually alive and trudging through this lifetime. This isn't about life. It's about control, I think. So I don't know. That doesn't really solve how to have these hard conversations, knowing that you can't really change anyone's mind and you have to have some compassion. I mean, is the goal to be less polarized? Is the goal to have like conversation so that maybe someone will hear a new piece of information that they hadn't thought of before, find a new perspective, open their mind, open their heart. I mean, that's the hope, right?
0: Talia, I appreciate everything you said and shared. And I think you hit on a lot of really important topics. You know, one of the things as you asked me, if I was watching The Handmaid's Tale that came across my mind is that we as clinicians have been listening to people process a lot of these losses of which you referenced several over these years. And I remember I turned on the first episode and I think there was a hanging and one happened to be a gay person. And as a gay man, it hit me too hard. And I just wasn't kind of able to tolerate that in addition to all of the other stuff going on in that movie. So, and quite the timeliness of it. I think that was the most striking thing about that show. I don't want to get too far off on the show, but I think Talia, you know, you talked about this general issue of like how we talk to each other with differing opinions and there's a lot of research actually coming out that that's not helpful because people as you said are so polarized and set in their decision making about this right and so i think having a conversation with people who already have their minds made up will not change their mind is just going to become more infuriating for us and i think in order to cope and in order to get through this time i think it you know regretfully hanging around with people who have like-minded values, who actually can share what their experience is without it becoming this intense emotional experience. Every conversation is the important piece. The other thing I think about this, and I just want to go to the basic premises that you and I work around uh, with clients as clinicians. Like if somebody came in and said, I really have this desire to like make decisions for other people and tell them what to do with their bodies and their their day-to-day life, we would be like, what the fuck is that? Like that feels either narcissistic or sociopathic or psychopathic. And so we wouldn't encourage that behavior. And that's really what's happening is that people are telling other people what to do with their private personal bodies and decision-making that frankly doesn't affect those people making those decisions at all. And I don't prefer to get very political, but it's really just such a distortion psychologically for white men to tell women what to do with their bodies while they're equally not wanting anybody to tell them what to do with their vaccine or their mask wearing or whatnot or their guns, which of course brings up a more recent topic. But you know, I just want to comment on the incredible amount of anxiety and trauma that's already being experienced by our, our culture and our communities, not only about the pandemic, but about political divisiveness that has caused so much of a riff in families and friendships and whatnot. But I also got to tell you, I think the anticipation of this has just elevated that anxiety and stress so much.
1: So yeah, we do have to have these really unpleasant conversations from time to time, even though I can't tell you how much I would prefer to be in an echo chamber. And in fact, when things do get really intense and polarized, it only takes one really annoying comment on Facebook for me to like block a person and make these big, horrible judgments about them and the kind of person they are and their character and their moral compass and their values. But we did have a challenge where some of our very best friends, we never even realized that we weren't ever having these conversations. And we've been friends for years and years and years And then around the election, it became apparent that we held really different values. And you know who was really great at these conversations? Was Rob, my fabulous, glorious husband. Yes, because for some reason, he wasn't getting triggered. He wasn't getting activated. He was just getting curious, like completely unthreatened untriggered, and just able to show up and listen to, you know, how they came to these decisions. And I learned a lot from watching him navigate these really complicated conversations. And he didn't feel the need to argue, but he did offer different perspectives in a really calm and compassionate and empathic way. Um, And we are still really good friends with these people. And we've managed to like navigate that.
0: It's an interesting thing. I think the other thing that's happened is, you know, and you kind of said, how do you have conversations with people who have differences? Like Talia, I think the question would be if those same friends came to you now and said, you know, we don't think you should have the right to your body choices. And when your boys grow up, whoever they love, um, they may not make choices about contraception. They just need to have babies, um, and as many as they can and give the babies up for adoption if they don't have them. I think for me, it's kind of like having as a gay man, a conversation with someone like, uh, who says gay people are not equal and they shouldn't be equal. And so I'm not going to have that conversation. Like that's a conversation where there isn't another side. And so while I understand that there's a way, and I think, I think almost, it's almost like how much, how much personal stake we have in these things. And I think right now, and when, you know, you mentioned your dear lovely husband, Rob, you know, he may not as a straight white male have the same issues that I have as a white gay male. Right. And so what we're most impacted by and what our personal experiences are I think it changes what we can tolerate, right? And if you know a person of color was having a conversation who believes black people are not equal or shouldn't have equal opportunity, which I've heard several times on social media, right? Like I think I'm not gonna tell those people they should be listening to the other side, right? So it's a tough one. It's really tough.
1: I guess the concern is how are we ever going to move forward and how are we ever going to Be a catalyst for change or progress if we can't have the hard conversations. But I know that I always bring up the Enneagram in every conversation, but like, I mean, so I'm a seven in the Enneagram, right? So that's like the enthusiast. I run away from discomfort, pain, and entrapment, like at all costs, all I want is good vibes and joy and happiness. And so I do have this uncanny ability to compartmentalize sometimes yeah. and to be in denial about certain realities. If I find that it's impossible to be in relationship.
0: And you know what I think? I, absolutely. And I think one. this is one of the things like Everyone is different, right? Like everyone is at that place where we all have to decide what our tolerance level is. And you might have, we'll use Enneagram for a second. You know, you might be able to do that in a way that I'm not. And I I will say that that's probably true. Like, I think that's one of the differences you and I have personally is that I think your tolerance for some of that experience might be different. You know, and I think, I think it depends on what the issue is, but I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it kind of goes down to like, if somebody said, yeah, as a gay person, you shouldn't have equal rights and you shouldn't have, you know, equality in this world. I'm not able to tolerate that conversation. And as I've gotten older, I become less and less tolerant and feel really protective of the younger crowd that don't maybe have the same power or privilege that I do to be in the situation that I'm in. So
1: I know. It's
0: tough. It's really tough. I get you, it.
1: I don't disagree at all.
0: And you said that piece about, you know, how there's this concerned reality we have that we can't have those conversations. I think it's a big concern. And there's a really huge question like how do we get past it?
1: I'm having I'm having a microphone issue resurgence. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like you're yeah, having I mean, a microphone issue with what? Just nothing. I'm just watching the whole like you're making love to the microphone and this. I'm so sorry. Continue. I didn't I didn't. I just want to, to observe it.
0: you are at an angle and about seven inches from your microphone. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I'm sure we can't hear me.
1: I'm good. I'm good. He's gonna have to edit that out. We've been watching
0: people um, distance from family and friends since I know. the election of 2016, I know, kind of in that disbelief that you were talking about before. I don't know what to do with it either. And so as a clinician, what I've been encouraging people to do is take care of themselves and compartmentalize because I think one of the other ramifications for mental health for people, and I think we're going to be seeing it in the years to come is that when you have rights and freedoms and you take those away in anticipation, as you said, Greg, about you know the proposed change that's been leaked uh, in Roby Wade, I think people feel disenfranchised. I think they have experiences and emotions that they're not able to necessarily navigate or identify. And I think whenever there's grief that's disenfranchised or trauma, I think it intensifies things for people. Kind of like my rage with the microphone. I have so much rage going on and I'm not joking. I, I probably, I really do in my life because um, I'm concerned for our kids. I'm concerned for people like myself who are about, you know, the next on the chopping block possibility possibly. So we have a lot of stress going on and That's it's getting true. bigger and bigger.
1: A whole new take on this. Maybe I don't have a lot of faith in our ability to have these hard conversations and change anyone's mind. However, a little self-disclosure that maybe is going to, you know, maybe has helped me along the way is, you know, I'm Jewish. There's a lot of anti-Semitism and I have made it my life's mission, although my identity and my feelings about my identity and how Jewish I feel, right, you know, is changing the older I get and I'm feeling more human, yeah. less like tied to... A particular belief system or religion. But growing up knowing that without actually having met me, people are going to have feelings about me has made me lean into this idea that, well, if I'm representing and if they meet me and if I'm warm and if I'm generous. And if I'm all the things that the stereotype isn't, maybe just by the way that I'm showing up, I'm going to change some minds without having these conversations. Because maybe the people that feel very strongly about protecting their own belief system, their own religion, their own rights, even if that means that everyone else on the planet that isn't like them is going to be completely screwed or unvalued and unloved and uncared for and their rights will no longer be of any value to anyone, maybe they just haven't loved a woman or a Jewish person or a gay man, or a lesbian woman, or a person of color. Or a trans person, or, or a absolutely trans non-binary
0: person. person. Right. Talia, I agree with everything you said as well. And I think we have, honestly, a privilege of being someone who our identity, mine as a gay man, you're as a Jewish woman. While our gender might be known based on our appearance, we also don't have a skin color that <clears> is discriminated <throat> against specifically. And so I think you and I have that opportunity to kind of edge into people's lives and to show them that difference. Whereas other people of a different skin type, for example, and skin color might not have that same ability to not face that stereotype head on. I've had that exact same experience, Talia. You know, my daughter played hockey uh, in Stillwater and one of the parents told me that he hated gay people before he met me. And so he went out of his way to, you know, kind of thank me for the new experience he had. I did ask him why he hated people from the beginning. Like, why would you have hated gay people? Because I came out right away at the first uh, team meeting. And, you know, it it went overall really well. I had only a couple of rotten experiences uh, from people who were extremely homophobic. But of course, Mm. I also feel at my age and my circumstance where I can stand up for myself and say, you will never say that to me again, right? And I had a great deal of support. There are a tremendous number of great friends I have from that experience. But it really struck me that what you said is true, I think. And, you know, we're slightly off the topic except we're on the topic because I think right. as we face the future in these difficult conversations, which Greg is kind of what you brought up, uh, as part of this issue here, I think we have to feel out how to navigate that. And I go two ways, Talia, seriously. And I know part of this is being male and not feeling mm-hmm. vulnerable as a six foot, you know, big enough guy,
1: Beefcake. cake, be- go on
0: <laughs> beefcake. Um, you yeah. know, I don't walk the streets feeling all that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. unless someone has a gun right So I, I think there's a part of this where I get to like confront people you know if I hear the f word that is used as a derogatory term uh, against gay people, I feel incredibly comfortable walking up to whoever it is and saying what did you say and why mm-hmm. would you use that word including in my own population and community And I, I think there's a part of this where you're right I think we I ideally can have these conversations and let's go back to Roe v Wade can you really, through natural sort of warmth. And as a woman, I'm gonna to try to convey to you my desire to be able to make decisions about my own reproduction and, and body. You know, I, I think, I don't know that these people are interested in that conversation because they have made their decisions about, you know, who you are and where your place is. And there's a lot of women who believe the same thing that you as a woman don't, they as women don't, don't have that right. Because of their religious beliefs primarily, I think. That's right. And socialization, right? Depending on where you grew up.
1: And who you're married to. And what, yeah, exactly like- That's right. Because I'm not sure all of these opinions are well thought out. It's just like, I believe in this one thing, therefore, I believe in all of the things- that people who are like me believe in. That's right. It doesn't necessarily feel like each individual issue is being thought out in depth. Which also, I mean, with the polarization, it just is like impossible to avoid because what I have found myself even doing is when you hear that like someone's not vaccinated, I make 42 different assumptions <laughs> about who they voted for, right. how they feel about all different social issues. Um, and I feel pretty confident that I'm always right, and I'm sure I'm not right.
0: But Talia, here's, the, well, I, I don't think you're always necessarily right about who voted for who based on that assumption, because I think there are some non-vaccinated people who have other reasons for not doing that, whether it be medical or what their experiences have been or what they have experienced just, you know, experientially in their own life. The thing that I do think, Talia, about that is there is a right and wrong here. You know, there just simply is a right and wrong. Should we, like, I always kind of think about it from the perspective, like if whatever God people believed in or higher power, if that person were right in front of them today and said, you either are going to continue to judge and and oppress and treat people that I created poorly, or you're going to treat people with love and you're going to follow the golden rule and you're going to treat people as you'd like to be treated, you get to choose one today and for the rest of your life. I doubt very much if that option were placed for people they would pick. I really want to judge and bully and keep people really unhappy in their life. I don't think people would pick it. And so you're right about this thought process. Like it's not very rational. And going back to your question about like how we approach this in therapy, Mm -hmm. I do approach it that way. Like we have to stay reality-based and are you living this life? And the other thing I think, Talia, about, you know, people who are maybe wanting to oppress women or people of color or indigenous people or black people or gay people or trans or lesbian or whatever, whatever diverse group there is. I really feel like those people are based in hate and fear and ignorance. And, you know, very honestly, at this point, having a non-binary child and a female child, both beautiful, amazing contributors to this world, I have zero tolerance for having that discussion. And I get now into kind of dad protective mode about those issues. So. I appreciate, you know, compassion is such a beautiful place to be and I can have it about a lot of things, including anything that comes into my office, mental health wise, any presenting issue. But boy, when it comes to human rights, there's a right and wrong. There isn't a discussion about that. Right. So
1: it's yes, Yes. (laughs) Yes, Doug. Yes, Doug. I mean.
0: Beefcake.
1: Beefcake, Jensen, a thousand percent. Right. And. I feel like we should be able to approach these things with compassion, but I'm still a work in progress because it's very charged and very activated. But I will say that something you said made me think about one way we could be thinking about this is if this is more about the process than the content, which I'm always thinking about like, okay, the content... Is a rotation of you, you know, fill in the blank of whatever emotionally charged situation that we're facing in the moment. But what we're working with is this like scarcity mentality that is born from fear. And I think that the hatred comes from fear. So right. if we're working with fear, And scarcity, meaning, well, what about my rights? Like Black Lives Matter. Yep. How can any human being on the planet argue with the statement, Black Lives Matter?
0: But of course they do.
1: The argument is, but what about me? I matter too, right? Right. So that's the scarcity mentality. Of they aren't seeing the oppression, they're just seeing what about me and what about my rights and what about my needs? And if other people have rights, then that takes away from me.
0: And here's where the distortion is, though. That is likely coming from a person who's not a person of color or Black or Indigenous, right? And so the reality is, are your rights really that much at risk?
1: No, it's and just not. fear.
0: And so this privilege. And so, you know, and when you think about it, right, Talia, like how many times is therapy about managing fear?
1: Exactly. Phobias, right? But that's why I feel like this is like full circle. So like whether or not we're talking about like, can we face these exact conversations and this exact content with compassion? I don't know. Right. But- We're talking about scarcity mentality and fear. And I literally talk about that all day, every day with my clients and just moving towards this abundance mentality. Right. And that these resources of rights, autonomy, value, love, support, caring for each other, this is not a pie. And more love, more inclusivity begets more love and more inclusivity. It's a never-ending cycle of progress and abundance begets more progress and abundance if people were to buy into that way of just seeing the whole world. I think it really does come down to like this scarcity mentality of, well, if your lives matter, then that's going to take away from me,
0: right? I want to be really careful in this conversation that we don't assume everyone needs to do the same thing, and we don't we don't assume that everybody needs to be an activist or stand up for what's right. You know, Talia, going back to how you sometimes want to approach people by just being a lovely person, and eventually, when they find out you're Jewish or they determine that you're female, they determine both are, and you're smart and you're beautiful and all these things. I think go on. I am cheesecake. Um, <laughs> but, there's a, cheesecake. but there's a part of this where I have clients who don't have the coping capacity to go after things or watch the news. Um, for myself, again, I feel comfortable as a dude who looks the way I do um, being able to, you know, maybe confront some people. And and I don't feel afraid to do that. And I might make a horrible mistake someday. But I'm really not okay with people treating people a certain way or calling people certain names or treating a person of color as a less than at a hotel or a restaurant or whatever it is. And, and you know, my clients who identify as as black or indigenous or persons of color will say it happens every day and they're always on the lookout. And the stories, especially since the recent anniversary of George Floyd this week, the two-year anniversary of his murder, you know, I think a lot of black people continue to feel really apprehensive about. Engagement with police officers and law enforcement. And they've been taught since they were young to be careful when you walked across the street. Like do whatever the cop tells you. But I think there's a part of this where I, I think it's really important to know that we all have to do our own thing. We all have to figure out what's right for us. So
1: that's beautiful. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that maybe
0: And there's not a right or wrong. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, and that there are people just like you said, I mean yeah. If you are in a marginalized community and a community that feels like you're not represented and you are not protected by the system, it is not safe. Many of these conversations are not safe conversations.
0: Right. I just want to add, you know, as clinicians, we know also that depression, anxiety, trauma, these are all things that impact people's ability to do that and function in a way that's uh, an option as well. And I think especially, you know, I think depending on how families function and whether adaptive or communicative, I think there's a lot of people who have, again, opted in these last six years since the 2016 election. I think a lot of people have not attended family functions. A lot of people are uncomfortable doing that. Um, And so, and I got to be honest, I think that's an effective coping strategy. If going, I've always thought that, by the way, pre-2016, I would have said, if you hate your family dynamics and you don't want to be a part of that experience, you know, don't go. It's not worth stressing yourself out. Remember what the holiday is about um, and do what it is that feels right to you.
1: Before the 2016 election, That's right. politics were politics. Right. Republicans felt a certain way. Democrats felt a certain way. It was financial. It was, you know, it wasn't these social issues of human rights and how you feel about people who don't look like you and whether or not you care about other humans. And that's why this has become such a hard time to stay connected to people that don't think like us is because this isn't about finances. And... I mean,
0: I would say, Talia, that before 2016, of course, you know, we still had social issues, right? Um, How Obama was treated as a president... As a black man, gay marriage was not legal until not so long ago. Lots of us didn't anticipate it would happen during our lifetime, so social issues were still there, but they weren't as pervasive and direct as I think now. You know, uh, again, that comment about grabbing a woman's genitalia by who would become our president. When I heard women or I saw women with a T-shirt that read "You can grab my pussy" with an arrow down,
1: I know I was I f- never. horrified. I will never understand the misogynistic women or oh, I will never uh, understand. I mean, it's just like, uh, I mean, the self-hating Jews, right? I will never, there are self-hating people from every different genre of humanity.
0: I agree with that. And
1: what is that? Is that shame? Is that self-esteem? Is that like, I I mean, I will never understand, but they are certainly, those women are not helping
0: and those Us. gay people who voted against their own rights, and those Black people who are voting against their rights, I think it all speaks to kind of an internalized self-hatred.
1: Yes, 100%. That it has, has been, to be. You're right. What else could it be?
0: So like going back, Greg, to your question, like how do you manage this? You know, we as therapists are confronted with some of that. You know, I I remember reading after the Trump election uh, that a couple of gay people were kind of complaining that their friends didn't support them anymore. I think they were from D.C. And I remember thinking, well, you've voted against them and your own rights. And there's something that people don't get. And that's that. Inherently, if people tell you as a woman, going back to the very topic of Roe v. Wade today, if people tell you, Talia, to your face, you're not capable as a woman of making your own decisions, you're not bright enough, you're not, you don't have the right to do that, men should be making the decision for you, that is the biggest bunch of shit. And so I think just inherently at the end of the day, from a psychological point of view, there's no reality to that. It's a distortion that the question is like now we've become some you know in our in our offices people who have to challenge that belief system i still think one of the issues that we have is that there's so many of these things you know and i know we'll likely be covering the recent school shooting in texas in an upcoming podcast but you know the reality is with the shootings and the the black focused targeted shooting in buffalo new york And Roe v. Wade and gay marriage and reproductive rights and contraception and interracial marriage and the pandemic and the political climate. I mean, what's happening is we're heaping so many of these issues on people and the ability to cope and strategize on how to cope. And I had somebody tell me last week in their appointment that they just don't care anymore.
1: Yeah. People are numb and dissociated and despondent. I mean, and we talk about compartmentalization as a coping strategy because I just feel like the doom scrolling and focusing on how fucked up so much of this is, like, yes, that is reality. And yes, that is truth. But we can't live there all the time. How do we, I mean, we have to, in some sense, live with our shattered souls and keep moving forward and trying as hard as we can to be highlighting the hope and the beauty and the love, which in our echo chamber. There is so much of when we're not fighting this fight. And when we're living in this abundance mentality with people that think like us and feel like us, there is so much love. And there is there are so many resources and so many people doing beautiful things that are world changing. Have a question for Doug or Talia, email us your questions at questions that were not fine.com. Eligible questions will be randomly selected for upcoming episodes. For details, visit our website at we're not fine.com.
0: Also, as a special thank you to our listeners, we're offering 15% off our podcast wearables at we're not fine.com. Join us every Tuesday for new conversations, new challenging topics, and fun.